you're listening to the Business of Branding podcast. If you are a creative female entrepreneur ready to connect with more of those heck yes clients, build an irresistible brand, and allow growing your business to feel easier than ever before, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Nikki Arnsman, a brand designer and strategist, a mama, and a little bit of a serial entrepreneur. On this podcast, I share all the strategies, tips, and lessons learned that have helped me build and scale an aligned business. My hope is that the content here will inspire you to go out and do the same for yourself. Thank you, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Business of Branding podcast. I am excited to share today's uh, guest and topic with you. We were just chatting um, a little bit before we started recording and um, quickly realized that she and I have um, such similarities and synergy and our um, backgrounds are are so aligned in so many different ways, um, which I think is going to make for a really great conversation today um, around branding and how to turn uh, beloved brands into household names. She's got a rich background of working in um, corporate America with brands that you know and love and probably use on a regular basis. So I've got Maureen Mwangi here. She is a brand growth strategist behind some of America's um, incredible brands like L'Oreal, Chobani, Dove. Uh, she's a creator of the Big Brand Academy, the Product Profit Lab, and Startword Consulting, which is a firm where she is teaching product-based entrepreneurs the sales and marketing strategies they need to scale with scientific precision so they can turn their product brands into household names. Um, what I love so much is that she is very data-driven um, and makes decisions that are uh, driven around what's actually going on with the numbers um, in inside of your business so that you can grow and scale uh, to a multi-million dollar business. Um, She also has an incredible nonprofit called the Taji Foundation. She supports boys in Kenya uh, to get education that they need so that they can get their families out of poverty and start building generational wealth, which we love to do that around here. So Maureen, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, thank you for being on uh, the podcast and uh, just a um, gratitude for you coming on and sharing everything that you know with such a rich history and background. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And I just love the fact that we have so many synergies and this is going to be a fun one. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited. So can you give everyone listening a little bit of, uh, give us your story. Um, where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? What kind of background do you have? I often find, um, these stories are so, uh, telling for like Mm -hmm. where people are at now in their business Mm -hmm. and life. Um, So Mm -hmm. please share that with us. So, um, so what, uh, so my name is Maureen and I grew up in Kenya where entrepreneurship was not the norm. In fact, my parents were the only entrepreneurs I knew. So as a little girl, I was literally so fascinated by my parents as they constantly discussed different product strategies around the dinner table almost every night. And This was a topic of discussion on the dinner table because both my parents are entrepreneurs in Kenya. And so as I was growing up, I acutely became aware of 
the financial freedom that entrepreneurship afforded my family, along with the access to more opportunities, not only for ourselves, but also for our community. And so I quickly learned that the secrets that my parents had really embedded and incorporated into their business is really building a trustworthy brand. And many may ask me, why is that important? At the time in which my parents' business was scaling, Global, globalization had become such a huge concept in Kenya. And so the markets were expanding. And what was happening is a lot of people were going to um, China and, get, and finding shortcuts to bring in counterfeit commodities at a cheap. But my parents had really focused on developing a reputation for over 20 years in the market. And so these, this curiosity led me to really understanding what does it take to build a breakout brand and I knew I couldn't find this information and knowledge in Kenya so I decided to pursue a higher education over here in the U.S. and that's what brought me to the country so I came here to pursue a master's degree in marketing and soon after graduating I quickly ascended into leadership and began to build some of the most beloved American brands. Some of them are in your pantry right now. I know as you're speaking or you're eating as you're driving your car. And that's when I really started mastering the billion dollar strategies that most entrepreneurs never have the resource or access to. And in, in, and in doing so, I really discovered that my zone of genius was the rare ability to connect with the market and turn real data into brand growth strategies that drive multi-million dollar growth. So, I started my business on the side. I, I really reached out. I maxed out my capacity as an entrepreneur. And that's what led me to take a leap of faith and decide to pursue this journey on a full-time basis. And that's what led me to create the programs you talked about. So my role is really teaching product-based entrepreneurs, particularly in the beauty space, the, skill, the sales and marketing strategies they need to scale their business with scientific precision, turning their beloved product brands into household names. I love this. So good. Um, so your parents, like these conversations, just going back to the beginning, um, you, you were exposed to what it meant for people to be doing things differently yes. um, from a really young age, which I have my daughter's four. Um, and I, I think it's so easy. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think it's so easy to get caught up in just like our own day-to-day um, things that we don't even realize that the stuff that we're saying or the work, the line of work that we chose um, really does sort of embed these like beliefs and curiosities <laughs> and, um, and just like open-mindedness that doesn't happen at the same dinner table mm -hmm. as others who don't have these, their own businesses that they're running or an unconventional career path or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find it so interesting because I often forget how much what I'm doing is shaping the way that my daughter oh. will make decisions as she grows um, mm -hmm. around what she can and can't do. And um, for someone like you, I think that's so powerful because you were probably surrounded by a lot of poverty and by a lot of struggle. Um, so to be able to like have those types of uh, figures in your life mm -hmm. and look at what they're doing and then mm -hmm. say like, okay, like I think what it does is it just creates possibility. Oh yes. It creates possibilities. And another thing it teaches you is the power of decision-making. Mm. because every choice has an invoice 
And so you have to figure out what's the invoice that you want to pay for. You know what I'm saying? And another thing that's actually really good when I look back at my parents' experience is some of the qualities they subconsciously ingrained in me that I didn't know I had them. So one of them is like persistence. Like when I jumped into entrepreneurship, I wasn't looking for the next quick fix. Yeah. I literally like jumped in and I wanted to do it right. So even how I invested in my business is very different. I invested in guidance. I invested in a mentor who taught me the blueprint. And it, it really forced me to think about my services and how I structure them. Because my first program, I literally say, my job is to mistake proof your business because I do understand how fast it is for you to scale and catapult to the next level when you have your foundations and your infrastructure, right? Basically doing it right and doing it more and having a reason that's bigger than your pocketbook. Yeah. Because, yeah, go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say is I find that so interesting because when I think about, you know, everyone's got their thing, right? It's like mm. Facebook ads going to blow mm. your business up, or mm. this is going to be the one method you need to know mm. or the quick fix, right? Mm. But you're in a similar industry to me. So I feel like you and I will be on the same page about this, that so many people sort of glaze over mm -hmm. like the foundational parts of building a brand yes. because like for various reasons, some people mm -hmm. just think it's going to be really expensive. Right. And mm -hmm. that they're not ready, willing, or able to make that type of investment yet. Mm -hmm. um, or they think that they have to be bigger than mm -hmm. they are. Right. So it's like, I'm too early. It's too yes. fresh, but mm -hmm. I find like, and I, and I would love to hear your take on this, that mm -hmm brands and and or just like business owners who mm -hmm. actually take the time to mm -hmm. do that foundational work mm -hmm. um they they skip a lot of struggle yeah. right like they yeah. they actually like make a lot less mistakes yeah. um because they're they take out the risk factor of flying by the seat of their pants they mm -hmm. have sort of a framework that mm -hmm. is separate than a business plan, right? This is oh, yes. different than a business plan. This is like, this is like the granular messaging details and mm -hmm. understanding your positioning, et cetera. Um, and what that does is it allows you to like be seen and heard yeah. quicker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I would love your take on this. Cause I, you know, I know that for a lot of people listening, not only does like this foundational work feel sometimes a little like fluttery, mm -hmm. like, you know, they don't yeah. know how to like make it tangible. Mm -hmm. um, but there is the part where like, I want people to understand how this actually changes how you can grow your business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you said that because it's the same objection I get. Like, mm -hmm. why do I need to build a brand? Why do I need to pay you? I can go and pay a Facebook ad agency or branding is very expensive. I already have my brand right. But what they're thinking about when they hear the brand, they're talking about the logo, the color scheme. Yes. But for branding, in my personal definition, according to how I have learned in corporate, branding is your why and branding is your perception. Mm -hmm. And right now, how I want to uh, distill this message is think about the big brands. What the big brands do that small brands don't do is they protect their brand. Many people think that when you see a Facebook ad, when you see a commercial online or on TV, that that's the only thing they're doing. I was in a department where I was managing over $500 million on a brand. And it's not a big, it's on, 
a big, big brand is like one of the small brands within the big brand. Mm -hmm. And my job was to literally be the voice of the customer. I needed to understand what is the customer saying? What do they want? And position that big brand to be the first thing that the customer thinks about when they're thinking of purchasing. Mm. Because one thing you have to understand, this is a time I have coined. Branding is why people buy you. Marketing is how they find you. Nobody's going to buy you when they don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. And so you really have to, as small business owners, what you have to do, the biggest distinction you have to make right now is think brand instead of product. And I'm going to speak about this because I'm in the product space because what I've seen is people think, hey, I'm just going to get a custom manufacturer, get some apparel, get some candles, and I'm just going to put $10,000 in ads and it's going to sell. Honey, it's not going to sell. <laughs> it's not going to sell. How are you going to, what are you, what are you going to tell the audience to convince, to, to persuade them to buy? Mm-hmm. How are you going to influence that purchasing decision? How are you going to drive emotional resonance? Because at the end of the day, people buy based on emotion and emotional resonance is what makes somebody give you their dollars. It's what makes you build a community. Yeah. That's what big brands have done very well and they will forever do. They've been here for years, but they still have a branding team. They still have brand consultants. They still have a strategy. I was in market research rooms for like a whole month, just observing how people do, uh, what are people doing, distilling those insights to inform a strategy, to inform marketing. Like this work is what has to happen first before Mm -hmm. anything else is done. I... I want to jump through the screen and like give a big like high five with you because I am so in the same position and I, you know, I stand in the same position. I think that there's not enough people talking about this in just business growth world, mm-hmm. whether it's product or service or whatever yeah. it is, it like, it really doesn't matter mm-hmm. because not only, not only is it, a this is like a requirement in my opinion, right? This is not an optional thing. Like maybe we're going to focus on the brand or, you know, we'll get to it at some point or maybe we won't do it. Like you can't actually do that. And the byproduct of bypassing the brand foundational work Mm -hmm. that we're talking about Mm -hmm. is a shitload of wasted money. Oh yes. I, my, my analogy is always think about a house. Mm. When you're building a house, the part that people don't see is the foundation. But when you talk to developers and builders, they spend at least two to three months or four months setting that foundation. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is a bonus or embellishment, putting up the pillars or putting up the windows. That's what people see. But what is holding the structure of the house is the foundation. Yes. So in your business, you have to ask yourself, do you have the foundation right? And let me tell you, the foundation is the boring work, but the boring work is what makes you money. And get it out of business. Think about fitness. If you're trying to lose weight, you're not going to lose weight eating fried chicken. You're not going to lose weight eating cake and drinking soda. You're going to have to change your diet for you to achieve your result. And you're going to have to deny yourself some parties for you to achieve your result. That's the boring stuff that nobody talks about. 
And this is exactly it. It's the, it is boring. I think people are, um, it is boring from the outside, right? When yeah, you're thinking yeah. about, when you're looking at this compared to, yes. you know, I always use the example of like creating your logo and yes. picking your colors. Like that's fun. It's sexy. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. People are mm-hmm. like jazzed on mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like one small part of your brand as a whole yeah. mm-hmm. is, is that, but what I will say is when people do pause and do the brand strategy work and they figure out their positioning, right? Or they figure out their why. Mm -hmm. um, And then, and they figure out the season of life that their, their customer is in. Yeah. So then they can create products for the season that comes before or the season that comes after now we've increased our um, lifetime customer Mm -hmm. value right Mm -hmm. Uh and what happens is you go from a person who decided to start a business and fly by the seat of their pants to a educated CEO who's got clarity about where they're going and what they're doing Mm -hmm. that doesn't come from like having good marketing. No, no. Like someone can run ads and like have some success with ads, right. Mm -hmm. In some capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, but if their brand doesn't, isn't doing it, like Mm -hmm. that will fizzle really quickly. So quickly. And it's funny you say that because I'm glad you're having this conversation. I was talking to, um, a lady yesterday that's running a Facebook ad agency. And she mentioned how she had two different types of clients. One that had done the foundational work, um, hired the agency, was making $2.8 million in two years, made $7 million. Mm-hmm. Then another same client now had never done the foundational work, but somehow just had a lot of money to pump into Facebook ads. And when the changes in iOS happened this year, the time of this recording in 2021, the business collapsed. Yeah. And that's, that's, that is what is required to scale. Because when you think about scaling, what, is, what, what, what you're doing is that you're automating your uh, client delivery, you're automating your systems, and you're automating your uh, marketing strategy, you're delegating it to a team. If you as the CEO doesn't have the clarity, you're not going to be able to delegate it appropriately. So the work is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So you don't have anything to systematize or to document. Yeah. And so you sabotage the growth of your business because without this work, it's, it's like, I, I say, I, I usually say it's like putting fuel to a car that's broken down, like right. the car ain't going to move. <laughs> right. Whether you put more gas in it or not, the thing ain't going. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your focus is very much in the product space. That's what mm-hmm. your background is in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about these different, uh, you've got these three phases of mm-hmm. a product-based business's life cycle. We've got emerging growth and scaling. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to each of these? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's talk about the marketing strategies that are required for each of them. Awesome. So um, every business or every product business has a life cycle. And the first stage is the emerging. So you have an idea. You're trying to validate if that idea is viable. So in that stage, your goal is to get a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. And so one of the biggest mistakes, so how I like to talk about this is address the mistakes and then cover what you should be doing. One of the biggest mistakes a lot of people do here is invest in things that they don't need. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. investing in Facebook ads, investing in a website, investing in infrastructural material that you actually don't need, in addition to a lot of comparisonitis and shiny object syndrome. So you're looking at what your competitor is doing and you're literally copying and pasting the exact same thing from their message, from their ads, from their pricing, like everything is a copy and paste. And why that's detrimental is you don't have any frame of reference or any understanding of what they are doing to run their business the way they're doing. So you're copying something that you don't know the insider secrets. Mm-hmm. And why that happens is really you, you haven't under, uh, identified your unique factor. You haven't identified your unique advantage. And then also you think you product instead of thinking brand. Because when you're thinking brand, what that does, it shifts your perception to understanding that you're selling a transformation. So when you're selling a transformation, you're selling like an emotion. When you're selling an emotion, you build your messaging and your business around that. Mm-hmm. But ideally, when it comes from a sales and marketing strategy, what you should you be doing? You need to be doing this foundational work. Right. Like get, get help. <laughs> There's so much help out there. Make the decision, make the right decision for yourself in addition to selling your product however you can. If it means you attending pop-up shops, if it means you're doing like an event in your house, if it means like literally your goal is to get a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. You can get somebody to pay you this and they're referring other people and you hit maybe let's say 5,000. You're like, you have something that's going. Mm-hmm. Then keep that momentum before jumping on ads because potentially your profit margins are not right because you're guesstimating if you've not hired anyone. So do it organically, like get yourself out there, validate if people are willing to pay you for this product and just really focus on building a community or an audience that's willing to pay you. That's Mm -hmm. all you need to do. Don't complicate it. I think, uh, yeah, don't complicate it is right. I think that so many people like dive in and look at what other people's like, I've heard this said, like they look at someone else's middle and they compare it to their beginning and think that they like need to be doing X, Y, Z. And I always think of like Shark Tank, right? Mm-hmm. Shark Tank, it's like you watch that. You could come on there with, you know, this pen here. And what they want to know is like, how many have you sold? Like yes. you could give them the whole gamut of everything. But what they want to know is, is this product validated? How how many people have bought it? Do they like it? Are they talking about it? Is it viral? Like, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's interesting because the people who go in there and lead with um, a great story or a great Mm -hmm. presentation, and I would argue even to say like, who might have like great visual branding, Mm -hmm. but don't have like, they don't have the data. Data. Mm No, it's like, it was a waste, right? Yeah. And in fact, um, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin would be like, "Why are you here? Why are you here? <laughs> Go sell this. Go, Go sell, sell this it. and come back." Yeah. yeah, I, you know, I think of when I had my clothing line and we kind of just got started, um, and I didn't have everything all figured out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went and sold those leggings anywhere that we could pop-up shops, yoga events, studios, like anywhere that we could to sell it. And before I went and invested in manufacturing and invested in all of this stuff, like I pre-sold 
tons of this stuff. You did it right. Sure, yeah. To make sure it was going to sell. So I actually like funded the manufacturing before we even, you know, and I didn't always do that. Then we got to a place where we were able to, you know, get onto a retail calendar mm-hmm. and be purchasing an, ahead of time. Um, but when it got, when we got started and it's been the same in the, as I've like worked with service providers in the, and digital product space, um, is, is, like you, your MVP, right? Your most viable product. We just need to get something out there and not waste a year on it and not like just go sell the damn thing. That's and it. let's hear how it's doing, how people are using it, what they're, what work out those kinks so that when you do invest in other areas, when the time is right, mm-hmm. again, you're doing it from a data-driven place. Yes. And now you catapult and now you get into the growth stage. And a lot of the questions people are asking themselves in this stage is, is this thing actually right? Is it a fluke? Because many people started as a hobby, right? Now you start, if you've done it right, you have traction and you're like, wow, I have consistent sales. Is it right? Where do I go next? And so now the biggest mistake here is now you have money, you're probably in a group you, you don't know what's the right thing to do. So you're unable to distinguish between signal versus noise. Mm. And that's why when we talked about really starting to shift your mindset to a CEO is understanding what do I need to do at this season of business that I am in. And one of the things you need to focus on right now is leaning into your data. Go and look at what was my customer what product is selling the most? What is my profit margin? If I've started running some ads, what's my cost per acquisition? What does it cost me to get a lead? And Shark Tank sometimes just ask you these questions. Those are the data points you need to now go back and look at because it's going to help you understand what is the lever I need to pull to now get to the scaling stage. And one of the mistakes people make is now starting to add on many products. Hey, because you've already had success, you think that if I had add more products, it's going to blow up. But that's 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 a that's a huge myth because the more product you add, the higher your chances are of cannibalizing what was your hero product. So right. you're shifting consumer purchasing behavior, and now you end up losing people. Because mm-hmm. the person who was buying, and, and a great example I always use this, is the Maybelline mascara. For, Maybelline started as a mascara beauty line, right? They started with a yellow mascara that everybody knows, like you know that one. Mm-hmm. And then they began adding and adding and adding. And when I was looking at the data, the sales of the, the hero product really started declining and diminishing. Because now we gave people different options. We gave them waterproof. We gave them falsies. We gave them brown, red. Like we gave them different colors. And so your sales are, for your hero product are declining, which impacts your sales of your business. And now you get stuck. And that is why it's so important to leaning into your data, streamlining your offering. Like this, like really go hard into that one offer and then become very good in marketing. This Personally, for the brands I've worked with that have done incredibly well and scaled, the CEO is also the marketing person. Why? Because you understand your copy, you understand your audience, you understand the backend intricacies of marketing. And you you should also learn how to do these ads. 
you save also the ad agency fee, like really do that marketing, like be dialed in, dialed in in a channel, as well as acquiring your email list, like getting your customer emails. Because when you get into the scaling stage, what we're doing is we're literally automating your client your 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 customer de delivery your uh, customer um, your marketing strategy and then your uh, operations process that's it and you're not going to be able to delegate that if you didn't do it in the growth stage right because your job in the scaling stage is to really understand this it's your time to be the visionary because the biggest mistake people make in this stage is they just keep repeating what they did last year. So there's always the year of a year mentality. But remember the year of a year mentality gives you the same results. Because they look at, oh, I did a Black Friday promotion. I did probably 10K ads. I'm probably going to add 5,000 uh, 5, more. So you're doing 15, you're just going to get the same results. It's not going to cut a pole to you. Because right. here when it comes to true brand strategy is really looking at where do I want my brand to be three years from today, five years to, from today, and reverse engineering. This is now where you start thinking about innovation. And if I'm adding innovation, it's not an innovative product to cannibalize. It's an innovating product that complements what you have to bring in a new audience. Because at the end of the day, you're building your audience to build your, your business. It also, can I add another sales channel? Is this my time to go into retail? Is it a big box retail or is it to have my own retail storefront? Mm -hmm. Or is it a time for me to add a subscription box? Pura Vida did that with the jewelry company. Now, these are the questions and the decisions you need to be making and you won't make it when you're still in the business. That's why hiring right. is important. Right. Like you can't see those opportunities when you're in the day to day. Yeah. You have to at some point get out into visionary roles. Exactly. To be able to look at. Yeah. As yeah. you're delegating. Yeah. That literally, that's, that's what you need to be doing. And there's no timeline because you probably heard this. Like somebody will tell you, I've been in business for three years, but I'm not doing, I'm not making anything. Like there's no seniority into entrepreneurship. This could take however long. It just depends on how fast are you able to grow on a personal level. Because business is personal development. It's like such a personal development journey. Yeah, right? Like, oh, yeah. oh, okay. Like your success in your business is so mirrored by your ability to adapt, overcome, and uh, move forward in a, on a personal level. Yes, yes. Yes, my mentor <laughs> Kelly Roach actually said this uh, quote this year and it really stuck with me. Um, she said, your business growth is not going to outgrow your personal growth. Your business growth is not going, not to, going to outgrow your personal growth. Yeah. If you want your business to grow, you have to work on your personal growth. Um, Kelly is... Uh, like a secondary contact of mine through um, another friend of mine, Laura Meyer. Who had, oh, yeah. I know Laura. Yes. yes. So we'll have to get Laura. Hi, Laura. We'll hey, Laura. get Laura here on, on the show and maybe all of us can connect at some point. Um, Laura and I were uh, recently together at a business event and um, I just got really connected and um, I love what they're doing too. It's just 
I'm having like little things fire off in my brain that I've got you on here. And like, we've got these like interesting dynamics and connections, um, which is really amazing. I love all of this. Um, I think that this type of information about having a structure, like Mm -hmm. emerging growth, scaling, having an awareness of where am I at within this, like, you know, formula. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can I make educated decisions based upon, um, the space that I'm in right now or the stage that I'm in right now? Mm-hmm. And, um, I, my question for you is for people who like are vacillating between like growth and scaling, right. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to get out of that, um, doer role. Cause I do mm-hmm. feel like there's a part of being yeah. in the growth where you are still doing That's right. Like, yeah. Um, I can use myself as an example here. Mm-hmm. So I ha- you know, have ran successful ads in the past and um, have a great suite of digital products that I, uh, I, it's funny, I told you I've, my background is in product mm-hmm. and I've somehow found my way back into product, but digital products. And mm-hmm. so I love just selling a thing mm-hmm. um, versus like selling like a service. I mm-hmm. just have that awareness that's been kind of new for me to identify that, Hey, I actually really love selling products more than I um, like selling a service and um, to be able to make the decision like, okay, I'm actually have reached my knowledge threshold of ads and the strategy, the marketing strategy that comes with Mm -hmm. running semi-complex funnels for digital products. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to get into visionary role to be able to see what's next. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to outsource this. Mm -hmm. And there's a, like, I'm, I'm being pretty vulnerable here in Mm -hmm. saying that, um, there's this like leap of faith that has to happen with the investment that comes on hiring an agency versus just like another person who maybe knows as much as I do. Like it's, I think there was a time when I, um, was getting it when I was in growth, Mm -hmm. when I, my product was validated, I was running ads on my own and I wanted my time back. Right. So Mm -hmm. I was in growth and I wanted my time back. So Mm -hmm. I, outsourced my ads to someone who wasn't a giant agency and were able to just sort of upkeep what I was already, I had already done on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, Side note, like I learned ads, scaled them and did that all on my own. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that because if anyone is scared to do that, it's pretty necessary. And it was quite amazing to learn how to do that and, and not have the overhead of outsourcing Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, so I had, I hired someone to maintain it. Now I also was not in a place personal developmentally to Mm -hmm. even consider an agency or paying Mm -hmm. five to $10,000 plus Mm -hmm. to have my ads taken care of. Mm -hmm. Now I'm getting into like, okay, I know that I I need a team who's Mm -hmm. got like marketing strategy and know how and sells digital products. And that's very different than hiring like an individual ad manager. Mm -hmm. And that is scary Mm -hmm. and like a, a big, like feels like a big decision to make in my business. Um, 
to know that like, okay, it's time. Like if I want to double down and go all in on scaling what I know has worked, like it's already, mm-hmm. it's valid. We know this mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels scary. I don't have a pretty bow to put on this other than like sharing my experience that, mm-hmm. um, sometimes there's like an ungrounding or wobbliness, which I've talked about on previous episodes that happens when you're moving from each of these phases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you asked a great question because I think the, the question there is who do I hire first? Right. right? Yeah. Who and do how do you know you're ready? Who do I hire do- first and how do I know I'm ready? Yeah. So how do you know you're ready? Especially if you're in that um, state is really your financials are going to tell you it's going to be your financials and your capacity. So if you've built working capital, if you have an operating account, if you've really um, aligned your finances the right way to run your business, then you're in a good spot. So the second thing is asking yourself, okay, if I'm tapped out, what do I need to do? I need to free up my time. If it's freeing up your time, then you evaluate, like, what is the ROI of having an agency versus the ROI of having somebody on my team that can do multiple things? Mm-hmm. because sometimes we think that and this is something that I'm also learning this is me being vulnerable in this post sometimes we think it's very expensive to hire but if you hire somebody full-time they can do so much more in your business than what an external agency will do mm-hmm. so in this stage if you're in an e-commerce spaces I always do recommend hiring the first person to be like your e-commerce strategies somebody really dealing with the money making activities somebody who will help with the email segmentations, who will help with the ads, who will also at some point work as your business manager or your right hand to free up that time. And if you can get somebody on a full-time capacity, could be temp to hire or part-time to full-time and transition them over, you realize that you're getting a much bigger ROI than you actually think. And it's easier for you to train that person. If you notice a gap as a CEO, could be enrolling them in some programs and services to get them more knowledge, right? And you, you keep that cost because you're just paying them as an employee, but they're also giving you an ROI on your spend on them. That's the way to think about it. If you decide to go the agency route, um, just look at, can you cover the agency fee? Can you cover the ad spend fee and look at what is the comp- the, the packaging? The, what, do, what do they call it? Some agencies take commission on profit, commission. Mm-hmm. And, can you cover that? And can you get a significant return on your money invested rather than a return on your ad spend? Because the ROAS and ROMI is something people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. People focus on if I put a, a certain amount in ad spend, what ROI am I getting on ad spend, which you have to remember, if you're a physical product, there's so much that has gone into bringing that product to life. So you're getting a return on all the money you've invested to bring that product to life. And just do the math. If it doesn't make sense to do an agency, you could get somebody to help you and they will help you in different capacities. It's yeah. really, again, just the same way you took a leap of faith in building your business, you still have to take a leap of faith in growing your bit and scaling your business and hiring somebody and every process you learn. Because at the end of the day, you, you need help to get to the next level. You can't do it, can't do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. This is all so good. Okay. So um, tell us about your foundation. Uh, so my foundation, Taji Foundation, actually started as a passion project, and it started 
just me using my income to support uh, boys through their high school uh, education. And education is important for me because in the African context, context, if you don't get a good education, especially as a boy, you're not going to be able to feed your family and ensure that your family has um, a good lifestyle. Why? Because we have we live in a very, I grew, we grew up in a very patriarchal society. So everything hinges on the success of the boy. And education is the launching pod to success. And I always feel deeply indebted to support the boys in our community, especially because the women have gotten all the praise, all the support, like the whole feminine movement is running like crazy in Kenya and our boys are being forgotten and they do need attention. They do need help. And the list I can do is through education. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. So a part of our profits do go to that to support each student through high school. Amazing. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Thank you. Okay, so how can, um, for those listening who might be interested in working with you or who've got a product-based business who would love insight and guidance, what what do your offerings look like now? Uh, So my offerings are are two. So if you are in the emerging stage, so you're literally trying to get to a next stratosphere of 5K to 10K per month, we do have an incubator program called the Product Profit Lab, where we teach entrepreneurs the um, step-by-step process of building an incredible brand from the ground up so you can rapidly accelerate your revenue and become a recognizable brand. So we cover... Um, We have four pillars where we focus on determining your brand secret sauce. So here we're really working on understanding whether your pricing, your positioning and your packaging have been uh, set up correctly so that you can beat the market with a competitive advantage. Then we focus on building an obsession. So we help you build a community that brings in raving fans so you can constantly build that retention client basis (laughs) without having to get new customers. Then the third thing we focus on is giving your brand sex appeal because we do have an understanding of the psychology of packaging that actually converts. And then the last thing, we maximize your sales. So we tackle different sales strategies that you can use both in e-commerce or retail to get your branch to your first um, six-figure leap in that year. And then the last offer is the Big Brand Academy. So if you're a seasoned, you are making multi-six-figure and you're really looking for a blueprint to get to a seven-figure, we have that uh, mastermind, which is a very small group of people. And we really just focus on the principles of mastering the different levels of brand growth that allow you to scale. Mm-hmm. Is this for, do you feel like this is applicable to people with digital products in a, as well as physical products or it's really it's pretty much just physical, physical, physical products. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to learn more, you can go to my website at www.startwithconsulting.com or you can join my private Facebook group where we do a ton of trainings every week. It's called product entrepreneurs who scale. Awesome. We will include all of Maureen's information inside of the show notes too. So you can link up there. Uh, Maureen, thank you so much for opening up and sharing all of this information. I know there were so many little golden nuggets in here. Um, just about the importance of branding, why this type of foundational work really matters for the growth of your business and the timeline for the growth of your business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so thank you so much for sharing all of your, uh, your support with everyone today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.